Oh, Father, thank you for our time already this morning. Uh, thank you for these songs that remind us of your greatness, um, of the glory of, uh, of your Son, our, our Lord Jesus, the risen King, the one who came down to us to die for us, to bring us life eternal uh, as your children. Thank you for your word that um, teaches us these things where we learn about you. And as we come to your word now, we have it um, read for us and preached to us. Uh, please soften our hearts uh, to receive your word today. And please be at work in us by your spirit. Uh, humble us, teach us, rebuke and correct us where we need it. Uh, and encourage us and uplift us and train us in righteousness so that we'll increasingly live lives that are pleasing to you and which bring you glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our risen King. Amen. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And uh, g'day. Welcome, everyone. Uh, great to be together again on this day as we gather around God's words. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Duncan, the pastor here at Trinity Church, Victor Harbour. And uh, it'd be great to see you afterwards if you're able to stay around for a tea or coffee. Uh, but we're thinking about bodies today. And my guess is that most of us have a, little, a bit of a complicated relationship, perhaps, with our bodies. Um, if you're, I reckon if you're over about 35, you probably have a wistful memory of that time when your body did what you wanted without thinking about it, you know, like uh, when you could stand out, up without groaning, uh, when you didn't need to think twice before picking up something off the floor, you know, it's kind of, now you have to steady yourself, brace your core, bend the knees, you know, all that. I, I remember a moment, the moment when I realised uh, that I was significantly older than any of the players on the Wallabies rugby team. And I kind of thought, up to that point, there was still hope, right? Uh, but it's, it's not just ageing, though, is it? It's not just ageing or delusional sporting aspirations that can cause us to be frustrated with our bodies. Some of us will be experiencing much deeper complications and confusions. Some of us, perhaps, will be carrying much deeper hurts and pains, 
and insecurities in and about our bodies. Well, friends, one of the striking things about the Christian good news is what it has to say about your body, your body. Uh, What we have for us in this passage that Andrew read out for us is actually just uh, beautiful insights into the Bible's theology of the body, of your body. Uh, It was a revolutionary perspective at the time that this was written, and it shone like a light into the darkness of the ancient world, and it shines just as brightly into the darkness of our world today. Uh, Our culture has a confused and destructive vision about what our bodies are and what they're for. And so did the ancient world, actually. Uh, one One of the main ways that that played out in the city of Corinth, as we've been looking at over this series, is in the area of sex and relationships. We've already seen that. Uh, all the way through, back from back in chapter 5, there was the guy sleeping with his uh, stepmother. Uh, and here in chapter 6, um, it, Paul's sort of responding to these things at the moment that he's heard in this church, these really concerning reports he's, made, he's, he's heard here. Uh, you might have picked that up as we read through. Um, he's heard that the members, that members of the church are paying for sex. They're going to prostitutes. Well, um, last week we saw Paul's first and fundamental response to this. If you remember last week, and Andrew read it out for us right at the beginning in verse 11, uh, for the Christians in Corinth, his fundamental response was to remember who you now are. Who you now are. You have been washed clean. You have been sanctified, set apart for a special purpose. You've been justified, made righteous before God. But... All of that that we looked at last week and, and that Paul talked about, it's not just some kind of nice spiritual thought. It's actually a concrete reality that finds expression in our bodies. In our bodies. It shapes all of life, including what we do with our bodies. So uh, we're going to see how the city in Corinth, what we're going to look at first is how the city of Corinth, the ancient world, thought about and um, saw their bodies, and, bef- and then we're going to turn to the, the wonderful revolution that Jesus brings. And three main parts for each of those sections, ownership, purpose, and destiny. You can probably see that if you've got your um, outline there. Uh, how do you think about each of those things, ownership, purpose, and destiny, is going to have a massive impact on how you think about and how you use your body, your body. Um, so, uh, let's, let's dive in. Uh, bodies in the city of Corinth. Uh, for, so, for the Corinthians, there seems to have been this teaching circulating that said, in terms of ownership, your body is your own, so you, you can do whatever you want with it and in it. I think that's what's behind verse 12 there. See um, uh, how Paul writes, this is what he's heard them saying, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial, Paul responds. I have the right to do anything. Paul responds, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, it's possible, I think probable, that this idea that was going around in the church at the time actually came initially from Paul himself. Uh, It came out of Paul's own teaching. His gospel was a gospel of freedom. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the demands of the law. Freedom from fear of judgment. 
I think what you're seeing here is that there's two equal and opposite errors that Christians uh, can easily fall into. One is legalism, kind of thinking that we relate to God basically by following a list of rules and kind of earning his favour through checking off the rules. The other end, though, is uh, is something called license or kind of libertarianism. Uh, It swings to the opposite extreme and says, because I'm free in Christ, it just doesn't matter how I live. And it's that kind of extreme that's in view here, I think, in this church. It's something Christians have always struggled with. Uh, The freedom of the gospel is real and comprehensive. But here's the key, though. It's not just freedom from something. It's freedom for something. It's not just freedom from something. It's freedom for something. And I think that's what Paul's getting at in his response, which is going to be filled out He says, okay, you have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I will not be mastered by anything. I think he's sort of signalling what he's going to then um, talk about in a little bit. But there's more going on in Corinth. There's this other slogan that they're telling themselves. Uh, This other slogan, verse 13, you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. So, uh, I think they're, they're, they're kind of unbalanced ideas about Christian freedom. It seems like they combined with a way of thinking about the body that was really dominant in the ancient Greek world especially. Uh, in the thinking of the ancient world, your bo- the body was just a shell, right? It was kind of an unfortunate and dir- dirty container for the pure soul. Uh, and so p- some people thought it just didn't matter what you did with your body, because it was, it was unimportant, it was temporary, the soul was what mattered. So you can see the logic. Um, see what, this is the kind of logic that they were talking about. My body has an appetite, and I satisfy that appetite. I eat, I quench my thirst, the purpose of the stomach is to eat food. And based, the Corinthians had put sex in the same category as that, as eating. It's just another bodily thing that we do in our, in our unimportant temporary shells of bodies. Now, just like the stomach is meant for eating, my body is meant for sex, and satisfying that appetite has no more moral weight than eating an apple or a chicken wing. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you get the kind of thinking that, that's going on in the church? But there's another, another facet of their, their view of the body. Uh, it had to do not just with its purpose, but its destiny, the body's destiny. Verse 13 you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. It's, this is kind of coming out of the same worldview, right? The body is just a temporary container. The soul is what really matters. And the body is going to be destroyed anyway. So who cares what you do with it? Now, I reckon as we're kind of look, thinking about this, uh, maybe you can see lots of similarities with 21st century Um, Western culture. I think one of the great things about this letter of 1 Corinthians in the Bible is that there's, in many ways, uh, our our culture is very similar to first century Corinth. Uh, We share some of the same ideas, I reckon, about the body, and um, uh, but but I think it's been accelerated by technology. Uh, Just, I think, like the ancient Greeks, when we thought about this last week, um, we tend to think our inner self is our true self. Uh, And our our body isn't really integral to who we are. 
Um, once we're dead, it'll just be gone. So it doesn't really matter what we do with it here and now. We can just kind of mold it, use it, shape it to however we want. I think we see this all the time in the stories we tell ourselves, especially if you're into science fiction, like movies like Avatar or The Matrix, or if you're a bit younger, the new Jumanji movies. Like, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? The, the real you isn't the physical you, so you can kind of just as easily be deposited into some other container, and it's still you. You can just be lifted out, plopped into another body, and that's all, it's all good. Uh, you're still you in that situation. You just, uh, you just need a different shell, a different avatar in the metaverse. <laughs> that is not the Bible's view of who you are, of our bodies, your body, your flesh and blood, your bones, your brain, your hands and your heart, your body, your body, with all of its freckles and lumps, your particular body it means something to God. It matters to God. It's not kind of separate from who you are. It's, you're not a soul that's been kind of randomly deposited into a disposable container. I think you see this right from the start of the Bible. When God creates humanity, he doesn't create a soul and then look around for a, for a, a container to plop it into. He fashioned the man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. You are an embodied soul, an ensouled body at the same time. All of that to say, God cares about your body. So Paul says in verse 13, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And according to the Bible, your body has a far greater destiny than just being ending up as worm food. A far greater destiny. Verse 14, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So what's going on there? Jesus was raised physically, bodily, and the certain hope of everyone who's united to him by faith is that your body will be raised too. Uh, I, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. It's probably not helpful to speculate too much. But I, I think you get glimpses in the gospel accounts of Jesus' own resurrection body. But later on in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul's going to go on to say that the difference between our bodies now and what they will be is like the difference between a seed and the tree that comes from it. Uh, the same thing, an organic unity, it's still the same thing. But what your body will be then compared to now will be as glorious as a tree is to its seed. <laughs> um, so, friends, maybe the thought of eternal life in your body doesn't appeal to you very much. But the coming future guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection is one in which there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more aches or pains, no more insecurity or shame, no more scars, physical or psychological, no more chemical imbalances 
or genetic disorders or gender dysphoria, your new body will be perfect and glorious, as glorious as a tree is to its, uh, to its acorn. It's totally different. It's a totally different vision from what, what was in Corinth, isn't it? And it's a totally different vision from our materialistic culture as well about the destiny of our bodies. Uh, but it's not just about the, the future. It's not just about the future. Our bodies have a purpose that is in, also in utter contrast to what the, the, what the world teaches. The world says, food for the stomach, stomach for food. What does the gospel say? Well, we've already seen it in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And I think what you see in the main chunk of this passage that we had read is uh, it kind of goes into what that means, what that looks like for your body to be for the Lord, for its purpose to be for him. And it all has to do with the fact that when you come to trust in Jesus, you are united to him by faith. And that's not just a kind of nice spiritual idea. In some way, our whole selves are really united to him. Our, our bodies, in some way, are extensions of Jesus in the world. They are for the Lord, and the Lord is for them. So when the Christians in Corinth went off to satisfy their appetites with prostitutes, they didn't leave Jesus at the brothel door. That's what Paul's saying here. They took him in with them. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, quoting from Genesis, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him. In spirits. There's lots going on there, but consistently through the Bible, when it talks about God's relationship with his people, one of the clearest and most powerful images that God's word uses to describe it is that of the sexual union between man and woman, husband and wife. And it's not some kind of weird um, pagan fertility cult thing going on. It's something much deeper, much deeper. Uh, sex is not just relieving an appetite. It is a sacred and holy picture of the gospel. A sign pointing to the union of Christ with his bride, the church. Uh, and just as a, a kind of little aside, that's why, you can, that's why you can be a completely fulfilled person and never have sex. And that is a revolutionary idea in our culture. Absolutely revolutionary. But that, this is why. Because as good as a, a gift as sex is, it's only a shadow of the reality that it points us to. The intimacy of being fully known and fully loved by God in Christ and through the Spirit. That's, that's the real deal. That's the, that's the real intimacy and closeness. 
and joy and peace that sex in this age only points us towards. So you see what Paul's saying? Don't you see what you're doing? You are united to Jesus. You're one with him in spirit. You are married to him in that deepest sense. And you're taking what is meant to be a sacred picture of the gospel of God's self-giving love to the world, and you're using it as a selfish means of relieving your own appetites with a prostitute. It sort of feels a bit awkward to say, uh, but Jesus comes with you when you have sex. And there is one context in which he smiles and says, yes, that's wonderful. That's as close as you can get to understanding the self-giving love and union that my people share with me eternally. And that context is within the exclusive lifelong relationship of marriage between one man and one woman bound together by public covenant promises. All other contexts are unthinkable for Christ's people who are united to him. Okay, how are we going? Uh, So our bodies have a new destiny. They have a new purpose. But lastly, though, and maybe this is actually the mo- there's some pretty controversial things in this passage. I think this might be the most, one of the most controversial ones. Our bodies also have a new ownership. Let's skip down to verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And maybe you hear that and you think, the thought of being owned by someone else is horrible. Uh, The thought of being owned by another selfish human being, well, it is. It's, it's, It's degrading and humiliating, the thought that someone else would claim your body as if it was their own to do with what they pleased. The thought of being owned by someone is horrible in every case except one. Except one. The gospel proclaims a new ownership of our bodies. Uh, The Corinthians were buying bodies for their own selfish gratification. Christ has bought your body not to take advantage of you, but to liberate you, to bring you into his kingdom of love and of light and life as children of his heavenly Father. God values you in your body so much that he paid the price of Jesus' own blood to purchase you at the cross. And not only that, did you notice as we read through, not only that, he has come to live in you, in your body, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul uses, it's actually a really shocking image here. I don't think we kind of instinctively grasp how shocking it is. Uh, But the, the temple was the center of life and faith in Israel where God was present in a special and awesome way. 
And what Paul's saying here is now that the true, that, that Jesus, the true temple has come, the one who is the fullness of God's presence on earth, and now that you are united to him by faith, you're members of his body, and he has given his spirit to you, your body is now a temple of his Holy Spirit. Your body is sanctified, set apart for his special purpose, belonging to him in a profound and lasting way. So friends, to belong to this one is not tyranny, but is where your heart's rest is found. I just want to share a story from a book by an author called Sam Albury. It's a newish book, excellent book. It's called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. Uh, he tells the story of a friend of his um, who, uh, when she was a young woman, was sold into sex slavery. She said, it was a period that left many physical and non-physical scars. It, it taught her to detach herself from her body. It was no longer hers. My body never belonged to me anyway. Everyone always took it, she told me recently, says the author. She was eventually able to escape and start a new life. During the course of it all, she became a Christian. And these words from the Bible have, become, have come to be precious to her. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. They had been true in an awful, dehumanizing sense. They were now true in a life-giving and supremely dignifying sense. Uh, he goes on to say, in any other context, hearing that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, would be devastating. It would indicate a lack of freedom, of dignity and worth. But when applied to Jesus, the opposite is the case. Belonging to him is the only way to true freedom. Nothing could be more dignifying, and nothing shows our worth more than Jesus shedding his own blood for us. To belong to him is the highest and greatest blessing we could ever hope for. It's the same thing that, was, that Christians have always said. Uh, and perhaps one uh, famous question and answer that you may be familiar with that says the same kind of thing is uh, from a, one of the Reformed catechisms, the questions and answers that was talked about, called the Heidelberg Catechism. Its first question is this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Anyone know the answer? Maybe some of you can sort of give it a guess. It said, what is your only comfort in both life now and in death? The answer is this, that it gives. This is your comfort. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ? Well, there's so much in here, isn't there? Uh, and we've been looking at these different understandings of the body uh, that were kind of at, at, at war in Corinth and at, they're at war in our culture today or against each other. 
Uh, and we've done some work in the passage. But, but what Paul calls the Corinthians and he calls you to do, it really is just a natural extension of that, an, over, an outflowing of that. And before we hear these, though, it's so important to keep remembering what we looked at last week, uh, that you are washed in Christ, you are set apart, sanctified and justified, uh, and you are always, you are always able to return to him in humble repentance and faith. There is no sin that will keep you from him if you will come to him humbly in repentance. So, but what are the two things that flow out of all of this that Paul highlights for us? Well, you can see them there. Verse 18, in the light of all of this, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, I, I'm, I've been thinking about this all week. I'm still not entirely sure what the second half of that means. <laughs> I think it has something to do with the way that sexual sin, kind of despite feeling like it actually, it's giving you life, it actually brings death in some way to our bodies. And, and I'm still kind of trying to think that through. But the, the first part of that verse is crystal clear, though, isn't it? The first part is crystal clear. Flee. From sexual immorality. That phrase sexual immorality, we've seen that before in chapter 5. It's the same word that's used here in the Greek porneia. And it, it gets used to refer basically to any form of sexual activity outside of marriage. And it's interesting the word Paul uses here, isn't it? He doesn't say, see how close you can get to sexual immorality. He doesn't even say, uh, look, it's just a good idea to avoid it if you can. What, what does he say? He says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't trust yourself here. You are not as self-controlled as you think you are. And friends, if this is an issue for you, um, perhaps you're sleeping with a girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, maybe you um, have visited prostitutes. Uh, maybe it's much earlier on than that, though, flirting with a colleague. Maybe you're using pornography. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Not only that, you were bought with a price. You were united to Jesus you are a temple of his Holy Spirit, so flee from that. And perhaps the first thing that you do today is to tell a trusted Christian friend about your struggles and ask them to pray for you and with you and journey alongside you in sexual holiness. Flee. But there's one more thing Paul says, <laughs> the last thing Paul says, and I think it's so interesting and so important. You probably came here today anticipating a sermon from me about sex to say, flee from sexual immorality. Uh, yes, and that's true. Uh, Paul, do you notice what Paul does? He expands it out in this beautiful way. 
he doesn't just say, don't do this. He gives us this wonderful, positive vision of what to do in our bodies. Verse 20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Honour God. Not just honour God kind of on some spiritual realm, but honour God with your bodies, with you, with all that you are. Your body matters. It matters to God. And I think we have an opportunity to shine out in our culture in this area about how we think about and use our bodies. We have a glorious hope for our bodies beyond death in a culture that just sees our bodies as worm food. We have a holy purpose for our bodies far bigger than simply satisfying the desires that come to us and go from us. We have the Lord of love who gave himself up to purchase us, to purchase our bodies so that we could belong to him eternally. And as his person, you can honour him. You can glorify him. You can please him in how you live in the body that he's given to you. And that's a real prospect for spirit-indwelled temples, for members of Christ in his power to bring a smile to God's face, to use the bodies he's given us in ways that bring him praise, ways that follow his good design for us, ways that trust his word above our own feelings, ways that extend his kingdom, ways that bless people around us, ways that people look to and think, that's Jesus. That's his body at work, filled with his spirit of holiness and of love. I'm going to pray for us as we finish. Let's pray. Oh God, in some ways these are um, just challenging things to think through. Um, all of us will have come to it with different things, some with hurts, some with regrets. Uh, all of us in some way, Lord. Uh, and so we pray that by your spirit you might minister to each of us. Help us to know how deeply cared for and loved we are because of Jesus, that you have purchased us at a price that you have come to live in us by your Spirit. And, oh God, please, please help us in the light of all that you have done and all that we are now. Uh, please convict us and give us the energy and the strength and the decisiveness we need to flee from sexual immorality. And not only that, Fill us with a vision of what it might look like for us to glorify you, to honour you with the bodies that you have so wonderfully given to us. We thank you that our bodies have this incredible destiny and holy purpose and that they are, we are secure, 
held by Christ and owned by him uh, in the best way, in the most liberating way. So, uh, Lord, we just pray that you might now, by your spirit, be at work in each of us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.